audio. There's a very few amount of people in the world who don't struggle with fear or confidence or whatever they're struggling with. And I think it's just a lot of, in climbing especially, it's just not talked about a lot. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. I'm so happy you guys are here. Today we are chalking up for a chat with the delightful and impressive Allison Vest. Allison has been a force on plastic, rock, and social media for years now. She was the Canadian National Boulder Champion in 2018 and 2020, and the lead champion in 2019. Recently, she's stepped back from the comp circuit to focus on bouldering outdoors, where she has topped out some serious rigs, including V13's Masterpiece and Blackout at Joe's, the first female ascent of V13 The Terminator in Squamish, and the FFA of V14, show your scars. Holy smokes, she's really strong and really good, you guys. She also occasionally wears a rope to claim some hard sport sends, including the FFA of the 14A test piece throwing the Houlihan at Wild Iris. If y'all see her at the crag sporting a yellow Donovan Mitchell Bel Air Academy jersey, watch out, she's about to try hoard. Beyond climbing, you've no doubt been highly entertained and impressed by Allison's IG, feats of strength, and parlor tricks, which are just mind-blowing, along with her super thoughtful posts on women in sports and body image, which have found a way to cut through internet noise and just resonate with millions in the climbing community and beyond. Allison and I hit the ground running in this interview, which is packed with relatable struggles, actionable insights, and a good dose of not taking ourselves too seriously. So today, Allison shares a bit about her fear of falling, which is something I've been working through myself, as you probably know if you've been listening, since I moved here to the Red River Gorge. And you know what's important when it comes to having confidence on some big, airy whips? Trust in my gear. Y'all, I've been using Petzl gear for years now, and I gotta say, I love my Harundos harness with fuse frame technology. It is light and fast for hard red point goes, yet comfy enough to dog at each bolt as I work through the seemingly impossible moves of my 13A project. Y'all, I'm psyched that Petzl is supporting the struggle as its official gear sponsor, so if you're looking to level up your harness game, Petzl has one for you. They've got a variety of options for different climbing styles and objectives. Visit your local gear shop or pop on over to Petzl.com to access the inaccessible. The official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle is FizzyVantage. Founded by legendary climbing coach Eric Hurst, FizzyVantage products are research-based and developed from scratch specifically to support hard training, passionate climbers like you and me. Guys, I've been a paying customer for years now, and I cannot say enough genuinely about how great their products are. Right now I'm training hard for fall sends, so after a workout, I'll refuel with their vegan protein, Powerplex, which contains 20 grams of clean protein and 10 grams of essential amino acids. Why does that matter? What does it even do? Well, it makes you stronger as you sleep. Boom. What's better than that? Y'all, these products and the people behind them are the best of the best. Try it out for yourself. You will be as psyched as I am. Hit that link in the show notes or use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-price nutrition order at fizzyvantage.com. 
Now, just a heads up, y'all, we briefly touch on eating disorders in the nutrition chapter in case that's something that'll be challenging for you to listen to. And after our chat, stick on around for a couple of minutes to hear my takeaways and learn how you can score some swag from the show. All right, get ready to crimp down hard on this chat with Allison Vest. All right, Allison, welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show. How are you? I'm doing fantastically. Thank you. Good. I'm excited to chat with you. We've kind of been chatting, but we haven't been talking. It's true. That's a good distinction. Yeah. I think like we're now of the era where people can make that distinction. Yeah. And then there will be a new distinction at some point in time where it's like we haven't been hologramming or just like hollowing. I was just talking to somebody the other day and asking what the next, what do you think the next thing that our kids are going to be like, oh, you know, you didn't have your cell phone implanted into your head. Like that's you had to carry that yeah. around. Like that's crazy. Like what's going to be the next? What will it be? I don't know. I, it's hard to know. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's going to be like some sort of nuclear winter before any of that happens. Um, yeah, we're not going to make it that far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, 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 on a, we're on a fast decline. But until then, we have rock climbing and podcasting. And those two things are coming together in a nuclear fission of fantasticness today with you on the Struggle Climbing Show. Or should we just talk about Are You the One for 45 Minutes? I mean, I would. I, I'm a big fan, so... I'm trying to like be cool about it, but I'm really happy. I, I really, somebody, it must've been you or Alex or Honold or something posted a screenshot of your like first pod. I think it was the first one you ever did was where whatever. And I was like, man, he looks so familiar. And Kyra and I, I was living with Kyra and we were just looking at this screen being like, wait, where have we seen this guy? And then I was like, oh my God, that's the host of Are You The One? And then we upheld this, whatever. And then I told AJ that when we were climbing somewhere and she was, I was like, oh, you know, that new struggle podcast. And she was like, oh yeah, I just did that one. And I was like, that's the host of, are you the one? And she was like, oh, I thought he looked so familiar. No way. So really you're interviewing all of us, but all of us are bigger fans of you. It's so ridiculous because I really feel like it's more of a condemnation of, you know, like the quality of television viewing that rock climbers are are partaking in more, more than anything else. But look, I appreciate you watching the show. Um, and I'm, I much more appreciate you being on this show. I'm a huge fan of yours. And I'm so excited to talk about rock climbing and not reality television. So let's dive in. And let's first, I guess, before we kind of get nerdy and nitty gritty on things, let's just talk about struggle. Allison, what does struggle mean to you through the lens of climbing? Well, it's a little hard for me to define because I, I never struggle ever. I don't... <laughs> I've never fallen. <laughs> That's right. I mean, honestly, it's funny how many people you'll get on Instagram who, I mean, Kyra and I posted together like a falling compilation of us fall. And the most frequent response was like, oh, I didn't know you guys fall. And we were like, what? Like, what? Are you, what do you mean? Like, I, it was sort of a moment where we were like, man, we should really be posting more about struggling because that that people think we don't fall, which is just outrageous. I think if you're, any type of serious climber, like you're not just dabbling at the climbing gym, you would know that even the the elite athletes are falling all the time. Like, you know, we fall 99% of the time. The 1% is all you see on the internet. So. Yeah. I think that is a common misconception, you know, for, I get just because we're in the Instagram culture. And so right. like, it's just much more prevalent that we post 
the sends and the, and the victories, but it is nice to open that up. It's nice that you, you've done that. I've, I've seen a video that you've done like a little compilation with AJ as well, where, um, you guys were falling and screaming and swearing and that, and, and there's kind of something refreshing about it. That's, you know, I'm part of why I wanted to bring this concept of the show of the struggle, like forward in climbing is that it, it does so frequently highlight the wins in the sends. Um, and so I, I like, I don't blame some of those. I mean, it's a little bit extreme to be like, wait, you fall. But I think, you know, for people who are just maybe new to the sport or popping in, they might assume that there's an ease to what you do because you climb at such a high level that maybe isn't, isn't the reality. Um, so yeah, how is that for you? Like, what is that struggle for you? I think it's been a balance for me, at least lately, leaning into the, because climbing is struggling. I mean, it's just sort of at the core of its principles that's what it's all about is you struggle until you get to the top and then you find something else to struggle on but I think for me it's been finding the balance of when struggling is beneficial when it's part of the process when it's part of learning mm -hmm. how to get better and learning to send and when you're struggling and going through that suffer fest because you feel like like sometimes I do it I catch myself struggling and pushing myself because I feel like i deserve it like I haven't tried hard enough I haven't trained hard enough I'm doing all these things and like I need to suffer in order to have success which is not true but that is definitely the assumption I was operating under just a few years ago even oh so almost like a punishment for for just not trying hard enough or something like that yeah or you know if I'm not sending then I should be leaving the boulder injured and bleeding because I tried so hard and I didn't get to the top so sure. I don't know. It's it's definitely a balance. Like you obviously climbing is all about struggling, but it's not you, know, you don't have to beat yourself into the ground just because you don't send. That doesn't happen a lot of times. And if you're climbing at your highest level, then it's going to take you sessions on sessions on sessions to have that send. So you can't, you know, you can't be driving yourself into the ground every single day. Otherwise, you're never going to get there. <laughs> Yeah. And you said it's changed a little bit over the years. Was there a point at which you didn't want to push yourself to that? I guess, how has your relationship with struggle changed? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always liked the grungier part of climbing, the training, the trying really hard, the small holds, all of that kind of, but I don't like not being successful, I guess, instead of like, I, I, like the six i realized i was so focused on the success part of climbing and not on the process that i just like wasn't having fun anymore like i'd go outside and i wouldn't send what i was working on and i would just like throw a tantrum and be all upset and all like really down on myself and really negative and really dark and and then i slowly i guess realized that people don't like that's people don't do that like even the best of the best they're more level-headed about you go into a session and maybe you have a goal and maybe you do it and maybe you don't. And it's all about looking at the small wins. And if you're, if you're working on boulders that are hard for you, regardless of what the grade is, that you're going to fall a lot and you're maybe not going to be successful every time. And you're maybe going to have to go back and that, you know, grades are subjective and there might be grades way lower than what your max are, but are your weakness and you can't do them right away. And like, it doesn't really matter what the situation is and what the grade is and what you should climb and what you, you know, I think I, I got really stuck in what I should be able to do as a high level athlete. Hmm. And then when I didn't live up to that expectation, that was completely fabricated just by myself, then I would get really down on myself. So I think it's just 
been a slow process. Like I definitely think I'm not on the other side of that, but a slow process of unlearning that and unlearning those expectations. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's cool to hear it phrased that way. Just the struggle, uh, obviously kind of the struggle that we seek as climbers, but there's that internal struggle, um, like you're saying, like honestly, just a struggle to deal with struggle better. It's a struggle sandwich here. So that, that's really interesting to me. I want to peel more back on that when we get to the mental game chapter. Uh, but first, let's nerd out for a minute on some training. And this is an area that admittedly you you really love you really do seem to get into training your videos that you post on your training are fantastic but is there an area that you have struggled or or that you do struggle with your training specifically Allison yeah I mean like I said there's parts of training that I really like and there's parts that I don't but for the most part I really like like it's never been hard for me to convince myself to go to the gym to train like I always have really enjoyed that um, yeah, actually, let's let's just look at that for a second, because I'm not sure everybody is as psyched on training as you are. Why do you have that fire, that stoke for training? I mean, I think I've always been really driven and competitive. Like I, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up. I've, I uh, other than climbing and I've always been really into that competitiveness, even just within myself. Um, mm. A bit of a, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, but I really like to do everything that I can to be the best that I can, especially in sort of a sport environment. And I don't know, I think I, I, I have struggled with confidence in other areas of my life. And I think when I'm training, it makes me feel strong and capable and confident, which I've had a hard time getting to that feeling in other areas of my life. But when I'm training, I can sort of feel that confidence and strength. And I think I really like to feel that way just because I, I have it in some other areas of, of life. But yeah, I mean, it's not always fun. like, it, you know, I'm not saying I'm like having fun and doing challenges every every day because I'll think a lot of training you don't necessarily want to do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I really like hangboarding for the same reason. I'm good at it and it makes me feel good to do things I'm good at. And I've just have kept progressing in a pretty linear way. So that's always, it's easy when you're having positive feedback loops all the time. I think in terms of training, I'm really bad at pulling. So I think my whole life, I've been trying to get better at pulling. So this is like pull-ups. Sure. Yeah. Pull-ups, lock-ups. Got it. Right. And and you did testing with Tyler Nelson on this, right? I mean, you did your your finger testing, which Tyler and I spoke about. I mean, your, your um, results were just like off the charts as he said your you, your fingers are the strongest fingers he has ever tested uh male or female but but then you also did i think like some pull up and lock off testing as well right yeah i mean people seem to overlook also this part of the he did a post that had me pulling on on a 20 mil edge and i generated an insane amount of weight and everybody freaked out but the other half of that post was him testing my speed pull-ups and it was absurdly low like way 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 lower than some of the other athletes of my level and so I was asking him about how to how to fix that and I had been campusing a bunch and he was he told me I was too weak to campus like I couldn't generate enough power to do that drill properly so I was like I would start on the first rung and go up as high as I could and then if I was going to pull through to the next one I would like 
wiggle up to the top arm and then hold that lock off for as long as I could and then move my arm as fast as possible. So it's not like a coordinated pulling motion like <laughs> right. like you'd see, you know, Kyra or whoever do on her campus videos. It's It was like awkward and I was just sort of using momentum and speed. He was like, yeah, you're, this isn't helping for your power at all. So he had me start doing um, dead points instead of campusing so I would have a foot on. Um, which helped a lot. Those have been getting a lot better. But I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that that, I mean, obviously nobody's going to be like commenting about how bad my pulling is. So that like wasn't maybe the point of the post, but that that part, that like half of that post gets very lost of like my, I can't hold a lock off really at all. Like I think my record for a 90 degree lock off is like two seconds without any weight. And do you find that limiting in your climbing or or how do you adapt for that? In Competitions I did for sure. I mean, it was one of my biggest limiters. You have really bad holds in comps. Like the amount of in-cut holds you get these days is pretty low. Even if they're mm. crimps, they're not good. If it's big, sloping, bad holds, a lot of times the way to use those is to be able to pull up and lock off to get to your next hold. So I couldn't, they're, they, they're not very conducive to my my dangling <laughs> abilities. Right. Um, so definitely when I was doing, I mean, I would, it wouldn't always be the only thing that was, or it wouldn't, it was never the only thing that was holding me back, but it wasn't always the biggest limiter, but it would happen a lot where there was a comp and the bowler I couldn't do was like pretty power-based and, and the, my inability to pull was restricting me for, for sure. Right. So then you identify this in, in working with Tyler and we all have our strengths and weaknesses, of course. Um, for me, they're all weaknesses, <laughs> relatively speaking. I can't do a one arm lock off. I can actually do quite a bit of weight on two arm pull ups, but um, I just can't lock off. And, and and I don't even know if I should be able to. So I guess maybe what I'm getting at here is um, what, what do you do with that information once you have that? Do you go towards your other strengths or do you try to train up these weaknesses in a way that will i guess bring them closer to strengths yeah i mean one thing that's nice about tyler is a lot of his data has i guess like reason behind it so it's not like you're bad at this because i already knew that like it's not you know he did tell me you're bad at pulling and i was like what no <laughs> way i have no idea like i've right. I, mean, I knew that like i you know i've been climbing for long enough i i know that i'm bad at it but he he basically said your arms are really long you will probably just hit a like you're you know you're never going to be good at lock offs. It's not going to be hmm. like you're never going to train and be like, wow, remember when I was bad at these? Like he's like, you're probably always going to be way worse at them than you are at anything else. And I mean, he had an interesting approach to it. He did he did say, you know, if you keep training your fingers, your fingers just keep getting stronger. Like that sort of seems like what's happening is the more you train them, they they still like my my hanging ability keeps getting better and better. Um, so he was like, there's definitely merit into leaning into that strength mm. for sure, because your pulling's only going to get so good. And obviously you're training your weaknesses and trying to make your weaknesses better. But I mean, I guess the practical sense would be if I jump to a hold, I'm not going to be able to lock off and hold that hold. So I want my fingers to be so strong that they can, my, can take all the force through just my fingers and not have to pull up. Um, and just be able to like use momentum or swing or whatever that situation looks like. Yeah, I think that's an interesting kind of evolution in training programming these days, which is to 
figure out if there's diminishing returns on the things that you're doing and maybe put that effort towards towards other things. Is there anything at the gym that you go to or it's at home when you're training wherever you train? I think it's mostly at a gym that you go to, right? Yeah. Um, like where like that thing is on your list, you're like, oh, fuck, I really this I don't want to do this. I had knee issues last year. Mm. Um, not fully sure why. I th- there was a bunch of different concepts but i think it's like was some sort of ended up being some sort of like tendon irritation in my knees but i i did i just i was like i had gone to see a bunch of people and there was sort of inconsistent feedback and i just kind of decided that i thought my legs were weak (laughs) (laughs) so i started doing more leg stuff like specifically my hamstrings um and it helped a lot i haven't had knee issues in a minute now but I, I'm sort of trying to keep up with that leg stuff. So a lot of the leg stuff, I don't like. I don't like that. Yeah, nobody likes a leg day. Leg days are shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like harkens back to like the early days of climbers where it was like the toothpick legs and the... Totally. You wouldn't even carry your own boulder pads to the crag because you didn't want your legs to get strong, you know? Exactly. <laughs> um, what about the concept of rest? Uh, what's What's your relationship with rest? I mean, that's definitely changed. I definitely used to be, when I first moved here, there was me and a couple other people, and we referred to ourselves as the brutalized boys because um, we would just train all the time, Yeah, you know, twice a day. And then if you didn't want to go because you were feeling tired, but you had decided previously that you were going to go, you'd like force yourself to go. And I don't do that anymore. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. not helpful. That just, I was just tired all the time and saw way less improvement and I don't know. I like would think I was bad at spray wall climbing for like for a while I did. And then I realized I was just tired. I was just tired tired all the time. It's a lot easier to climb hard on a spray wall when you have energy. So totally. I mean, there are some athletes, like some professional athletes that are climbers that are really into resting. And I definitely am not one of those people for sure. What, What does your rest look like? I mean, I usually just do like three days on and then rest. Or two days on and then rest, depending on how that second day is feeling and what I end up doing. I, st- I, you know, I feel I'm not competing anymore. I still have things that I decide to do or not decide, but I like, for example, I'm testing with Tyler Nelson on Wednesday and I trained today. So now I'm in the middle of considering if I'm climbing tomorrow to rest, to do the, the testing or not, or like, you know, I'm going to this boulder on Friday. So do I count back? Even if it's not like a big project, I still like want to feel good. So right. a lot of it's based on what I'm, what is in my life that I'm doing. And then, and then, yeah. And then I really pay attention to like how hard the previous day was. Like if I end up climbing for one day, but I did a double session and I feel really wrecked, then I'll just rest. So three days on, yeah, that's interesting. And, and maybe less common than, than what I've heard. Um, what's kind of like the A, B, and C day, just kind of the major, what are the major like interventions that you're focusing on? Um, I've been playing with it a little bit just because for the most part of my life, <laughs> I've done, I've like hangboarded my first day on because it's when you're fresh and when you're feeling good. But mm-hmm. um, I've started to realize that I don't need to do that just because it's one of my, str- like I don't need to be fresh and hangboard. Um, I actually feel mm. good later too, like, you know, good enough to be able to do that well. So like later in the day or, or later in the week? Like later in the, like it's like a, the second day or the third day. Day two or three. I got you. Yeah. Okay. And I used to do like my pulling stuff, my basic pulling stuff on day two or three. So I've 
played around with swapping those a little bit just because I want to seal the freshest when I'm working on the thing I'm worst at. But at least lately, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of AJ and I were in Colorado for a month and then we were just up in Canada climbing for two and a half weeks. So before that and right now, a lot of it's a lot of my training is climbing like on the spray wall mostly. Um, and then if I do any supplemental training, it's either like pull ups and lock offs or my leg stuff that I don't like or hangboarding. And on the spray wall, can I just do like get a little peek inside of that? Um, are you trying to simulate moves on like an objective that you've got coming up or um, do you have a certain sequence or number of moves that you like to do to emulate what you're working on? You know, I've never tried that. I've never like gotten into the simulating folders or roots or anything or or even mm -hmm. tailoring. I mean, if I was doing, I haven't, I mean, I haven't really projected sport climbing that much, but if I was doing like a route that had a specific number of moves, I would probably make my circuits that length or just a little bit longer. For me, like, I think you can train this, a similar style of move to what you're doing. You know, if, if it's like a big, powerful jump with a certain hand or whatever, like I definitely have thought about that, but I mean, people might have different opinions, but I, I just, I don't think the simulator a lot of times is close enough to the actual boulder and especially most of my projects are relatively close and I get relatively obsessed so I would rather just train doing random generic folders that are going to help me feel strong and good and then go to the actual boulder and and do those moves all right Allison let's talk about nutrition now is there an area in nutrition that you have or that you currently do struggle I mean I think the concept of like eating and climbing is not untalked about. Like, I think there's very clear issues, especially in comp climbing with disordered eating. Sure. Um, and I mean, for me, I, I don't know. I definitely had an issue with that when I was in uh, like a teenager, hmm. but I, it didn't work. Like I just was tired and cause I wasn't eating and then I didn't climb very well. And then I just felt bad. So it was a relatively short lived and it, I mean, it wasn't for me, it wasn't like I was really, really restrictive. I was just like obsessed with my weight for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, like I would go to school with my weight written on my hand so that I would like look at it every day when I went to go eat something. And then it would like remind me that I weighed more than I wanted to. And this is when you were a teenager? Mm -hmm, yeah, probably 16. Shit. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, so I, I and even in that time, I, I wasn't like, super crazy intense restrictive about it but i like feel the best when i'm strong in that and in order to do that i need to be like fueled properly it's something that um is far too common i mean look just even outside of the sport of climbing when you're talking about being a teenager i think people struggle with body image uh, maybe at an even more heightened time than than other times of their life right and then you add in a sport that rewards being light to some extent or at least just the the maybe the misconception that one needs to be light in order to be rewarded um i, I can't imagine i'm sure that was pretty challenging what was it for you that helped you to realize that that wasn't the way was it a coach or some friends and 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 is it something that is fully in the rear view mirror even i mean man like i don't i don't know that i would even talk about that in that much of a past tense like i feel like it's still something that 
I am working on. Hmm. It's really easy to look at climbers that are really skinny and think that that's the the answer. Um, you know, especially the ones that are doing really well. Sure. But I mean, I did. I tried. Tr- you know, I it did not work for me, and I can't. I you know. I, I think when I look at it logically, I think that is a really emotional, potentially relatively jealous driven and like what happens when you end up comparing yourself to other people, which I catch Mm -hmm. myself doing all the time. But I think when I look at it logically and I, I convince myself to look at it logically, I know that that is not the way to succeed. And that's not the way to be as good as I want to be for as long as I want to be. You know, I don't want to lose a bunch of weight and be good for a year and then have those returns disappear, which is what happens. Like I, you know, I want to be, I want to be climbing V13 way into my thirties. And like, I, you know, I want to be climbing really hard for a really long time. And I know when I think about it logically and scientifically that, that the way to do that is to make sure that I'm feeling myself well and also enough and also properly. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I've been talking about like the whole body image thing more on my Instagram lately. Um, there was one I did a few months ago about I've always been like insecure about not having abs. Like I've n- I've never really had abs at all as a and you know ended up here where I am as a professional athlete, and so that was always a sort of an insecurity, I guess. And I I made this post about it, and I was like pretty unsure about posting it, and then I posted it, and it got you know this sort of wild positive feedback on it um and I think that was a moment for me of realizing that I needed somebody to do that when I was a teenager to be a role model and to talk about it and to make make it less of a taboo subject to talk about and to to be that voice of reason that's like you're you know you're having an emotional reaction because you had a bad day and somebody who's like maybe lighter than you is having a good day or whatever that those comparisons. I, I, when I was a kid, I needed somebody to, to be the voice of reason and to talk me out of those emotional mindsets. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it's just become, uh, important to me to, to help be that voice for the next generation of climbers coming up. Yeah. I love that you are doing that. And I I saw that post and, and some of the others that you've done, um, it's really important. I'm glad that you are doing that. Thank you, because I'm sure it's also a, um, it's not an easy place. It's, I imagine, an insecure and vulnerable place to be to put yourself out there in that way. It, it is. And I mean, it, you know, it always was going to be. But I also think it's been helpful. It's been helpful just to me, too. Like, I, I feel like I had come to that realization, you know, and, and was able to be in a place where I would you know, fall off a boulder and be like, man, if I weighed less, like that would have been easy. Sure. And then be like, that's not true. Like be able to talk myself out of that and, and know that that's not real. Like that's not reality. And, uh, to have people like to AJ, to be honest, I mean, we've talked about that a bunch. I feel very grateful to be friends with somebody like her, who has been at the top of the female rock climbing field for so long and is, literally stronger and better than she has ever been in her entire life having won multiple world cups at you know in her 30s and that nutrition and feeling yourself well and enough is like the way that you get there like you know you don't have to think 
that you are the strongest you're going to ever be at 16. Like, you know, you do it right. You feel yourself well. You continue to love climbing and be passionate about it and be happy. Then you can climb hard and, and continue to improve way past your teenage years. But it's hard for teenagers to see that when they're in the middle of especially intense competition. Yeah, we'll put, you know, climbing is that kind of sport where people can peak in their 40s if we take care of ourselves because the the mindset, the efficiencies, the technique, and and then the strength can continue to build, um, of course, with the right fueling, with the right self-care. So uh, thank you. I think that's an important message that you share, especially with our younger climbers and certainly people who are into comp climbing. So to close the loop on this nutrition chapter, what does your fueling look like? Is there a certain diet that you prescribe to? Or are there certain things that you cannot go without? What is kind of a week in the life of of Allison Vest's palate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting for, I mean, for a while. Um, so I actually, this first, this is the first public reveal of this. Actually, I don't think we've said it anywhere. Uh, here's the Ky scoop. Here's the scoop. Kyra and I do not live together anymore. Um, we have for the past two years, but um, her boyfriend moved into the apartment that I was in. And then I live with my boyfriend Palmer now. So we did a little swap uh, around, but that was just this month. So that's the hot tea. But oh, wow, that actually is a scoop. OK, I didn't <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, oh, I, you know, started eating spinach. Um, yeah. So you in Kyra, I mean, what about the TikTok videos, the roommate TikToks? I mean, I will always be roommates at heart. And I, I moved literally <laughs> 10 blocks down the street. So <laughs> it's not too serious. But um, but when I did live with Kyra, and I I mean, I've lived with her until very recently, but she she's a vegetarian and she doesn't love like meat in the house either. So I was a vegetarian kind of when I lived with her. I mean, not mm. really. Like I would go other places and eat meat, but like not in my own house and I would never buy it. Right, but you were cooking up like giant ribeyes in the morning for breakfast, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but she, I mean, she's really conscious of the protein thing too. So um, we would just, I, I don't know, like we drank whole milk like out of a glass like at, at dinner and <laughs> both had like protein shakes, a bunch and um, and whatever, tofu, I don't know. So just made sure that there was a protein in every meal. Yeah, I don't know. I like I like cooking. I like making new things um, when I have time. But yeah, I, I I really I like food. I like good food. I like when food tastes good. And uh, other than trying to make sure I'm eating healthy and eating enough protein, I don't really focus on it too much. Yeah, great. And it's working. So um, good for you. I appreciate you sharing all that. You also shared a scoop with me. Now, I have to ask you, 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 you have to contain yourself. You cannot share this publicly until this episode comes out because, you know, I interviewed Tommy recently and it was the day after he ruptured his Achilles. And he was like, oh man, you're the first person I'm telling this to, Ryan. I just re-ruptured my Achilles. And I was like, holy shit, this is big news for the pod. Can you hold on to it, Tommy, for four months while I get into my post-production schedule? And no, he was not willing to keep it a secret for four months so that I could um, be the one to to announce it. So now now it's all on you, Allison. If if the struggle is going to get this scoop that you and Kyra are no longer roommates, I need you to keep it under wraps until I publish this. Can you do it? 
I'll just go take, I'll just take some photos with the cats, go over to her house. And like, <laughs> totally. Happy to be home. <laughs> yes. Keep this lie going. <laughs> Let's shift gears. Let's talk about tactics, tactics and technique, um, kind of whatever, however you want to slice it. Maybe we can kind of look at this through the lens of show your scars, if that sounds all right. It was like a V4 or five, I think, um, really kind of a, a, a challenging boulder. Mm -hmm. um, for me and you. And so tactically speaking, I, I recall it's a V14, everybody. It's a V14. Forget <laughs> it. I recall, I think reading, it was like only a few weeks that you focused on that, right? It was not, this was not like the multi-month, let alone multi-year project. And so I'm interested, like kind of through a tactical lens, how you look at what you consider to be like a limit project. Yeah. I mean, tactically, yes and no. I mean, I, uh, I guess, so it was, yeah, it was a month. I think it was like 10 sessions in a month that I did that boulder. Um, plus I had already been up there once, like the previous fall. Um, and I think that's like what encouraged me to go back up there is I was up there in the fall, um, when somebody else was trying it and I got like, there's one really, really big move in that boulder that was like almost my max span. Um, yeah, it's like going up really high with that right hand, like uh -huh. you're crimped off on something heinous, it looks like. And then like, it's yeah. a huge. Yeah. And I, yeah. I got pushed into that position. And so I knew it was like physically possible for mm -hmm. me to, to do it. Um, and yeah, and then I just got really obsessed with it in the, the month that I was trying it. It was a lot of, I mean, there were some days when it, it was like too cold or snowing or something, but for the most part, I would like go up and try the boulder. And then the next day I would train, I would go to the gym and do some lock-offs or maybe a little bit of climbing, but mostly like lock-offs and hangboarding. And then I would rest and then I would go back up the next day and try it again with some wiggle room in between. I would maybe rest a couple of days or whatever until I felt good. But you weren't getting I, on any other boulders outside at this time. You weren't topping no, out easier no. things or whatever. It was just singularly focused no. on show your scars. Yeah, and that boulder is very, very alone. Like, there's not really, it's not like a zone with a bunch of boulders. There's just two, and the other one is also V13. So it's not, it's not like there's like a ton <laughs> right. of easy boulders around. It's going to go, going to go run some um, laps on this V13 just to kind of yeah. relax a little bit. Yeah. Right. And it was, I mean, it was January, so there's not, I mean, you could climb in like little cottonwood, but you can't really top out because it's like snowy and stuff, but. Right. Um, so mostly it was just a good opportunity when there was nothing else in that grade of season. I tried to go up there twice in a row once, and that was the last time I did that. Um. <laughs> For skin or just power? Power. Like I, that, I, that boulder is like really powerful. And I was, but I like walked away feeling like I didn't do much. Like I only tried it, I think like six times or something. Like I only pulled on literally six times and I was like, oh, I'll go back tomorrow. And then I went back the next day and could barely pull off the ground. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, so what did you learn from that experience there? Tactically, that was an interesting one. I think it was easy for me to go back in such a short amount of time like that because it was a really um, obvious and linear progression. Like I held all the positions on the boulder and then I did all the moves and then I did the top out and then I did a link from the middle to the top and then I started trying it from the bottom and fell higher and higher every day until I did it. So it was like, you know, it wasn't like banging my head against the wall in 
uh, the sense that it can be in a lot of other projects where there's like sure. one stop or move or you can't do this one move. And once you do it, you do the whole boulder. So that was nice for me that it was so the progress was so obvious. Um, it was like really motivating to go back. And I spent a lot of days up there alone, actually. I would run into people up there, but I, you know, 90% of my sessions were alone. And what was that like? It was. I really like climbing alone. It allows me to like just, you know, throw a temper tantrum for a second and nobody's around to... I like feel bad sometimes if I do that when I'm at a bowler because like everybody's just trying to have a good time and I'm like yelling and crying and mad. But when nobody else is there, um, that's fine. And, uh, but it's also, it's also scary for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a wimp for sure. And that boulder is tall. So yeah. I was only able to like rehearse the top when somebody else was there, which was a little awkward. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would, sometimes I would go up there without the intention of sending. Cause like I hadn't done the top and the top was scary and I didn't want to do it without a spotter. So right, that was always interesting, but yeah, I mean, topping out has been an issue for me for a while getting better but well before we get into that because i'm we're about to go into the mental chapter here and i want to talk about topping out i want to talk about fears i want to there's a million things um i I want us to focus on but let's let's stay focused on uh these tactics for for a second and maybe show your scars isn't the perfect example because it actually did go down in a progression like you're saying um it just so happened to be the hardest boulder you've ever climbed and you did it in 10 sessions and you did it in a nice like progressive way so let me just open it up wide. Uh, are, are there areas or what is an area, tactically speaking, where you struggle? Not that good at resting between attempts. Um, hmm. Like I tend to like rapid fire and then an hour in be like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I got to go home. <laughs> right. Um, how, how do you address that? I think it's just been learning, just like doing it a lot. I do... My capacity to try multiple times is higher than other people. Like uh-huh. when I climb with my boyfriend, Palmer, he's like classically will like try something and then rest for like 30 minutes and then try it again and then rest for like 30. And I don't do that. I like get I get too cold. I feel like I have to warm up again. Like my tendency is definitely to try a lot more than that. Well, but do you think that's holding you back or is that just how you climb? Is that just your style? I think tactically, like you have to, be honest with yourself about what is working, but I don't think you have to necessarily shy away from whatever your baseline is. Like, I don't, I don't want to get to the point where I'm doing that, where I'm like doing massive long rests. I don't, that's just not, I don't think how my brain works. Right. Um, but I do need to like understand better when I'm tired and maybe how to take bigger chunks of rest or, um, but yeah, that whole, that whole, tactics of resting is definitely my the thing i'm still working on the most is figuring out how to rest and how much to rest and 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 that kind of thing yeah i think resting between boulder attempts just seems to be particularly challenging i i personally find it challenging i'm mostly a sport climber but i train a lot on boulders indoors because finger strength and and speed is kind of my glaring weakness so most of my training is is doing boulder problems and you know i'll hop off a problem like a limit problem and i'll wait i don't know 45 seconds and just be okay i'm good let me get back on and then i you know i can't even pull off the ground and so it's just hard because it's right there you don't have to untie and tie back in you don't particularly feel pumped right you you don't feel pumped in fact uh so 
forcing rest in between max boulder attempts does seem challenging. It is challenging for me. I think it is for others as well. How do you deal with that? You know, do you set a timer or is it based on the number of moves that you try to do that kind of thing? I guess it kind I guess it kind of is. Like it's not like a certain amount of moves, but it's like if I if I'm trying to go for a send and I fall off on the second move, I maybe will just sit back down and chalk up again and rest for a couple minutes and then go again. Like if, sure. if you know, if you fell really low. But if I fall in the crux that's higher up or whatever, if I fall actually trying and giving a good effort, um, the timer thing is huge. I do that a lot for sure. Or, you know, look at what time it is. Like, oh, it's, you know, twelve fifty eight, I'll climb again at one eighteen, whatever that looks right. like. Um and then there's also been a few times where I've found like walking away is helpful. Like whether you're like going to look at a different boulder or like just, I don't know, you got to pee or something and you like just like leave the boulder and come back. So you're actually you're like taking your shoes all the way off, putting your other shoes all the way back on and then going somewhere and coming back like that. That usually is a is a good reset for me. All right, we just dabbled in mindset a little bit there in the tactics chapter talking about topping out, but also talking about even just the kind of the mental reset of walking away from a boulder, changing your shoes, coming back. I love all of this. Let's dive in. Uh, where have you struggled, Allison, with your mental game? I mean, to all. <laughs> just the whole the whole mind thing. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean, but I, in all honesty, that is my, that's definitely... I mean, I can't hold the lock off at all, but I think my mental game is still my biggest weakness for sure. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I struggle with being confident, like feeling like I can do a boulder, like I get and like negative self-talk. Yeah, and I have seen you post about this specifically. You, you actually wrote something here. I pulled this quote. You wrote, I'm not good at separating outcomes from my self-worth. Yeah. I was I was never good at that. Yeah, and I think that quote was referencing when you were kind of actively looking to step away from comp climbing and get more focused on outdoor climbing. So since doing that, has that shift addressed those confidence issues or what has been the impact of that move? I mean, it's been helpful for sure to step away from competing. Um, competing is co competing is like, I think, one of the most vulnerable things an athlete can do you know you prepare for i mean for essentially i mean i've been competing since i was nine so pre prepare for an event essentially your entire life and if not like the past year with its nationals or a world cup or something mm -hmm. you're sort of putting it all out there and then for the outcome to be not what you wanted it really for me at least would make me question well you know what I'm doing like in the sport or if I'm good enough or if I whatever like it would really throw my worth into a spiral sure. um and not that that doesn't happen outside it definitely does it's definitely part of my like tendency to get down on myself and be negative when I'm not sending but it's just easier you have more time to rationalize it and to not let that emotion get the best of you when you're when you're climbing outside you know it's like right. comps are like this insane you know a world cup is an insane weekend of like high intensity and then 
you know, you're happy for your friends that are doing really well, but you're sad for yourself and you're like already thinking about what you're going to do next, but it's finals and you're watching and it's like, you know, you wish you were in that round, but you're not. And then you're happy for your team. Yeah, it's like all of these crazy emotions all at once. So it's hard to take a moment to like understand what thoughts and feelings are warranted and which ones are not and not helpful. Um, whereas when you're climbing outside, it's it's a lot easier for things to for you to process things more slowly um, as they're happening. Because I mean, you have time after comps to to process things, obviously. But by the time you're like, you know, you're in China and you've like flown home to back to North America, and you're like tired from traveling, you know, it just it feels like it's a separate. You're so separate from what the actual event and what the actual situation was that it's it's harder to to deal with those things in the moment. Whereas when I'm climbing outside, I have a much easier time doing that. Um, right. That said, it's definitely something I'm still working on as well as like being confident. Like I just am not, that's why I struggle to top out. Like if, you know, if the top out's at all hard, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall there for sure. Which is like, that's not, you don't want to be, that's not, <laughs> you don't want to be thinking that when you're topping out. But 15 feet up. So, so how do you address that specifically? Is it as simple as just practicing the top out before you really make send goes or, or is it something that you work on at a deeper level? Yeah, it's been a it's been a process for sure. I was always really scared of sport climbing. I was scared of falling. Um, I think part of it was scared of failure too, like not being as good as I wanted to be outside, but then sure. waiting for so long that I ended up being like, you know, 18 or something and hadn't really climbed outside and I felt like I was just falling farther and farther behind. I think I just needed time to to learn to love it on my own. Um, and I also my boyfriend Palmer is the coach of the youth one of the youth teams here in in uh, Salt Lake City and I went bouldering with him a couple times when he would be with like a bunch of team kids and so he would be explaining to them like the tactics of topping out of boulder or like th things that were very basic and they needed to know at 13 14 and but I would also be learning them at the same time so I think it was helpful to have him be really patient with it and be able to like he is very like rational and logical and I tend to be more emotional. So I would, you know, try the top of a boulder and get all mad and be like, it's too hard up there. I'm never going to do that. I'm, it's too scary. I don't want to do it. And he'd be like, okay, well, let's just like put a rope up, like put a rope on the top of the boulder and then you can rappel down and try the moves. And if you still don't think you can do it, like you don't have to do it. So then I would like rappel down and try the moves. And then, you know, try it again. And he'd be like, you know, what do you think? And I'd go, I don't know. I don't think I, it's too hard. And he'd go, okay, well, you don't have to do it. And then I would come down <laughs> and then, uh, and then he would go, well, you could just try it. And he's like, if you draw, you know, if you get up there, you can totally drop off. It's fully safe. So I'd be like, oh, okay, fine. So I'd go up and I'd try the boulder and then I would get to the top out crux and then let go. Be like, I told you it was too hard. He's like, okay. And then just very slowly would work my way up to, you know, be like, okay, we'll go up there and then sit at that hold for a second and then take a deep breath and grab the next hold. Then if you want to commit to it, you can, but if you don't, you can still back down. And then I would like do the move and then do the top of the boulder. So yeah. that happened a lot where it was like him being really patient with me being slightly aggressive and emotional about topping out boulders. Yeah. And how great to have that though. I think that that can be really valuable and relatable for all of us listening, regardless of what grade we're climbing. Like I'm a V4 boulderer, you're a V14 boulderer, but 
shitty high slabby top outs are terrifying and we have a healthy fear of that right i mean just evolutionary psychology that's what's kept us alive for a million years is having a healthy fear of being exposed up high and and having that support like you've had with palmer and others of us can have is just incredibly helpful it's really critical as we work through these what can be paralyzing emotions and i think we assume that elite climbers just don't have that and so i appreciate you sharing that what else maybe practically speaking can you share with regards to whether it's topping out or climbing above a bolt or anything like that yeah i mean it's hard i think for a while my only top out tactic was because i'm so competitive the only thing that would allow me to overcome that fear would be that i was sending so I would hmm. never try the top out because I could only do it if I was coming from the bottom. And it was like, if you don't do it, you're not going to send like that was the. That was the alternative was your, you know, you either do it or that, you know, you're not doing it. Right. So I've stopped doing that for sure. I definitely I do the top out now like that has been helpful. It makes it less scary, which I mean, that's that's obvious to a lot of people. But I for a long time really wouldn't do a top out until I was coming at it from the bottom. What about for sport climbing? Sport climbing's been a hard one. I think part of it is, part of it is like me being scared of like not knowing what the holds are. Like it's not necessarily of the fall. Like I'm not super terrified of like the actual fall, but it's like, I don't like not knowing where I'm going. And that's like essentially all sport climbing is, especially on, you know, you do the crux section and they're like oh it's just like 511 climbing from here to the top but if i like don't know where i'm going i'm so scared that i'm over gripping and pumped and like it's hard the top that 511 mm. becomes very very hard so then i'm like pumped and scared and i don't know where i'm going and i don't know what the holds are and then it's like also run out because it's supposed to be quote unquote easier than the 514 part of the right so I think sometimes something that I'll be working on more, I don't think I've leaned into it that much, is like just getting to the top, like stick clipping up or like grabbing all the draws and going to the top and then sort of lowering down and finding all of the holds and making a plan and figuring out where you're going to clip from and how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that. And then trying it on lead, like just because it's just because it's the easy part doesn't mean I have to just go for it on lead my first time. Which is hard. I mean, if, no matter what grade you climb, ideally in your head, you'd want to be able to climb, you know, three number grades easier on lead your first. Like, it feels like that's something you should be able to do. But for me, that fear takes over so much that it doesn't. It's not like it's not fun and it doesn't feel possible either. Yeah, I love that you're bringing this perspective to the show because I think that there is a, I don't know, a judgment or a some sort of like weird macho mentality about stick clipping up a route. But, you know, I mean, look, there's something to be said for on-siting and flashing. That's that's kind of an art in and of itself, and it's a cool mental and physical challenge. But if you're projecting, it's great to TR it. It's great to just pull on those draws, get to the top, suss out those moves, because that's what a, a project is. And it can also help to address some fears, a fear of falling, or if there's a weird clipping position and, and that kind of thing. And you know, for me, that was definitely something that I had to practice when I moved out to the Red River Gorge. Did you practice that when you were younger or are you still practicing that now? When I was growing up, I grew up in a bouldering only gym. But mm. at the time, the youth competitions were only 
like top rope and lead. Bouldering wasn't like a discipline for youth when I, until I, you know, until I was 19, I had already been aged out of youth and then they put Interesting. bouldering in. Yeah. Um, so I trained in a bouldering only gym, but I trained for lead almost exclusively because that's all we competed in. So we would practice like clipping, like we would do big laps of the gym and they would put draws up and you'd have like a tiny rope following you to just like practice the motion of clipping. Um, and then we would drive to the city that was near us. It's like an hour and a half. I don't know, like three or four times a year, maybe less and practice falling. Like that was the only reason we were there. So it wasn't like practicing sport climbing. It was to practice falling, yes. which is like, was sort of a, I mean, people still do it. It was sort of an accepted way to get kids comfortable falling was going to a gym, a lead gym and taking these massive whippers from the top of the, like you would, you know, we'd be at the top of the wall and the last draw that was clipped would be like, you know, you'd have skipped two draws and then you'd let go and take this huge ball. Um, and that just didn't, that just didn't work for me. And I think I'm still mm. like, on like I, that would just encourage me to be scared when I was like leading. Cause I was always scared to take those giant falls. Yeah. So instead of being introduced to sport climbing and falling as like taking very normal falls, I just, I, I haven't taken that many normal falls in my life. Like I've just taken these giant whippers from the top of the wall. Yeah. And so for you, especially as a kid, that kind of fall practice was counterproductive. It sounds like. I think when kids are scared of lead climbing, having been one of those kids, you don't need to like overcompensate by making them take these giant whippers. Like, I think that's a very outdated way to teach kids to climb. Like, I think if you have a kid who's scared, you need to teach them that if they take this very normal fall, they're going to fall a very normal distance and are going to be fine. And they're not going to be scared. And it's not scary. Whereas if you make kids take these giant falls, the only thing that's reinforced is that it's scary. Right. Falling is scary. Yeah. It's it's so interesting. Hazel Finlay um, joined us last season to recap the mental game chapter. And she did speak about the nuance between that uh, because Alex Honnold had, had been on the regular season and had talked about kind of this concept of rational versus irrational fears. You know, there, there's a rational fear of maybe you're climbing on sketchy gear and you don't want to take a fall and you're in your head. Whereas if you're on glue and bolts and it's an overhung route and you're falling into space, you know, that's irrational. And you should try to, you should try to rationalize your way through that. And that worked for me because I'm very analytical, but Hazel contrasted that. And she said, at the end of the day, it's, it's still fear. And if you're forcing somebody to take a huge whip, even though it's totally safe, the fear response that you're going to have is still going to be real. Sounds like that's what you experience, um, which is interesting. It's also interesting that you say that you haven't done enough sport climbing to really understand kind of what your tactic is. But I have to assume that when you were working on, you know, throwing the hulahan, for example, or rodeo free, that you probably were falling a lot or were you rehearsing it so much on TR that you only did a few like red point burns? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of what I mean about I just haven't taken enough normal falls. Like once I would be on that, you know, I think I'm throwing the hula hand. I fell on every single move. I like that route is very short. So I, I literally think I fell on every single move with the rope clipped in every single possible position. So then I wasn't scared anymore because I was totally fine. And nothing about any of those scenarios was, you know, I think there was one clip that was a little nerve wracking, but I like I had fallen from there. I like I had taken every possible fall. Um, and so in this one sort of Petri dish example of a route that I was trying, 
that is what helped me overcome that fear was like re unlearning that all falls are scary and being able to reinforce to myself that that it's fine and it's not actually that scary and you're not actually falling that far and you're going to be okay so i think for me the process will be learning to do that in and generalizing it across routes and not have not having to do that on every single route well, I, I just really appreciate you not only sharing, but also just walking the walk, pushing yourself out of that comfort zone. And I think you're about to unlock crazy new levels in sport climbing, just with how hard you're climbing and the way that you're working now on your mental game, as well as your tactics. It's really exciting to see. I'm bouldering, of course, you're just on a tear. So what is next, Allison? Like, what are your goals? What are your projects? What are your dreams here? Yeah, I think I, I definitely want to climb harder boulders. I would like to do some more V14s, hopefully, at some point. But honestly, no matter what the grade, it'd be cool to find a boulder that's close to home that I could, you know, I had this conversation with actually Matt Fultz recently, just about like learning to project something for like a really long time, like 10 sessions on one boulder felt like a really long time. But, you know, he was like, that's not, you know, I put 50, 60 seconds into the same boulder over it the span of years. Um, so it'd be cool to find something to commit to like that. That's hard. I do want to get better at sport climbing. Um, I have a lot of friends that are really into it. So it would be cool to minimally be able to like go on sport climbing trips with them and enjoy myself and not feel anxious and stressed and scared the whole time. But I think I will always be more of a boulderer at heart, at least for now. <laughs> All right, Allison, let's zoom out now and move beyond the boulder, beyond the crag. Talk about things that you're passionate about. Um, beyond your own personal climbing and, and something that I want to tie back to and you mentioned this in the nutrition chapter for just a beat was this issue of body image and being a woman in the sport or being a girl in the sport as you have kind of referenced back on, on what your experience has been like and you've put some really thoughtful and sometimes provocative and beautiful content out there on the issue of body image. And so I'm curious what has sparked that in you to, to be so public about that and where you see this conversation going for the sport. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is just showcasing more of climbing than just the climbing in the sense. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I think the sport is changing. Um, there's definitely more girls and women participating now than there was when I was growing up, I mean, I, you know, I remember being in the gym and just climbing with a bunch of like, you know, middle-aged dudes all the time. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, I think there's less of that. It's less like, you know, you walk into the gym and gym and see no women. Um, right. But I also, you know, I feel like the experience of being a girl in sport is just different. So I sort of want to, I guess my goal would be to be a, a role model for that. I don't know. I think there's all these issues with body image and confidence and that like sense of machoism that you're talking about where you have to be like totally fearless and unafraid and successful all the time. You know, there's a very few amount of people in the world who are like that, who don't struggle with fear or confidence or whatever they're struggling with. Um, and I think it's just a lot of in climbing, especially it's just not talked about a lot. So I think that that is sort of what's important to me is it's not 
it's not like a, it's not my issue only. Like I, I want the sport to change and to be there to be more resources and avenues for, for, for all athletes to help if they're struggling with eating disorders or to understand the actual truth behind nutrition and fueling and the things that, I don't know, get pushed under the rug when all you see on when you open Instagram is just like people sending or winning World Cups or whatever the situation is. I guess my hope is to share that as much as I can so that the people who follow me know that they're not alone in theirs. Well, you've definitely got quite an audience and in your content has a great tone to it. It's got a great voice. I mean, you put some really fun and funny stuff up there. You put in these incredible like feats of strength and stupid human tricks and, and, and that kind of thing. And then you, of course, put this very thoughtful content out there about issues that are important to you. What's the response been from your followers and from the community? I definitely have people, especially the like body image stuff. I have a lot of people reaching out to me and, you know, reposting it or messaging me and saying that it resonated mm -hmm. with them, which is important. I mean, it's important to me. I'm glad they're doing that and telling me it resonated because that's the whole point. Um, but it also, I mean, it definitely adds like a pressure to it where it's like makes you really think about what you're saying and how many people are going to read it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, especially when you've got as many followers as you do. Um, I, I imagine everything that you post is under some sort of scrutiny. But the response has been so positive, especially on these on these body image posts. And and then, of course, like the fun posts that you make, these like weird circus trick feats of strength that you do, which are so highly entertaining. I love those. And where does that fit into the equation? Do you feel a pressure to continually try to one up yourself on these things? Do you enjoy them? You know, what's what's next in the world of Instagram trickery? I don't know if there's a pressure necessarily. Um, definitely social media is part of being a full time athlete. I, sure. It's I think I think it would be very, very difficult to not have that be a part of the the deal. But I mean, I genuinely, I just really like that kind of thing. I think it like helps keep me motivated. And I don't know. I think a lot of times I just like act genuinely want to know if it's pop, if like I can do it. I mean, it's very short right now. I definitely have used a lot of my concepts, but like I've had the concept of trying to solve a Rubik's Cube on a hangboard for a long time. I guess I, I mean, I could have done it at any moment, but we, I was like, home at my parents house and my brother got really into rubik's cubing he's like seven or eight years younger than me and so when we were there he just had all his various cubes and it was it was a two by two one that i saw so it wasn't like the standard so it's just smaller um and so i just saw that and was like i wonder if i could do this one and then if yeah then it would be possible um so just like finding these opportunities to use the space that I'm given to accomplish a challenge. Jesus, that Rubik's Cube one is absolute madness, as is like, you know, canvassing the transgression board and, and hopping between, I mean, what was it, like six mil holds? I mean, you know, really, really crazy, cool, super fun stuff to watch. Of course, we only see the ones or mostly only see the ones that work out. What about the fails? What are, where's the library of ones that don't work out? I mean, there's lots of them that don't work out. I there's this video that I posted um, a while back where I like did a dino and then did like a flip and landed on the ground. Yeah, I, like grabbed it. I've had this goal 
of doing that and landing on a vault, like still being still climbing. It's oh like God. doing a dyno and then landing on a volume and grabbing a hold. No. I tried that this week in Philly because we were like setting boulders for the kids and it was maybe going to work and it didn't, it didn't end up working out. But that one is still, that's more tea. It's still on my list. Yeah, that's so <laughs> sick. Well, wear a helmet, please. And, um, and, and then send it to us when it's done. And, you know, it's funny because some of these that are, are super entertaining, like you and Kyra passing the medicine ball over the pull-up bar um, in, in like, you know, the campusing of the transgression board. Those um, are, are entertaining, of course, but also like pretty creative training ideas. I am sore after every single one of those. Like, I, I bet. it's like unusual things that you don't normally do. And like Kyra and that medicine ball one that Kyra and I did, we like, well, our abs were sore for like four, like I kid you not, four days. Like we were like, <laughs> have we never used our core before? Both of us were like, I thought we, I thought we had strong cores and we, I think we maybe tried to do various things with those medicine balls for like 40 minutes. Yeah. And then could like barely could use our four for the rest of the week. That was clear. When I was watching it, I was like, I bet they were throwing up the next day. Like, I don't care how strong you are when you're doing that kind of thing. Cause like, it's not like you nailed it on the first take, right? Like, no, I'm sure you no. tried like a million <laughs> times. So, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about this, and I know we're running long here, but um, I I'm really impressed with your art. You're a hell of an artist and you've done like these woodblock carvings that you've printed onto t shirts. You've done incredible watercolors inspired by climbers that have inspired you is that just a release or do you have dreams and goals around how you can use your artwork in in your future and in your career because i think it's super impressive stuff well thank you um i think i always was into art type of stuff and i felt like i needed to like i feel like i couldn't be an athlete and an artist at the same time hmm. when i was graduating high school and so i did my undergrad degree in kinesiology sort of following the sport path and i think as i've gotten older i've realized that a lot of pe young people are sort of pushed into that like you can only you know like this concept that you can only be one thing um so i think i've been trying to showcase it a little bit more just because there are so many people in the world that are very multifaceted and have interests in very different things and i think once you start leaning into things like that you'd be surprised like how much crossover there is for example, hosting a reality TV show on MTV and hosting a podcast like for climbing. I don't know. It'll I, never work. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, people just have all these different skill sets that I think they can. Anyway, so that's been why I've been trying to share it more. As I've been, you know, have this opportunity, which I'm very grateful for to be climbing full time. I've been leaning into art more on rest days and doing things like that. And um, I think the more I've done it, the more I wish I had done something like that with my education. like. Mm graphic design or whatever that something a little bit more artsy um so i've been i've been looking at doing a certificate course in, in graphic design or, or something along those lines well it's really cool stuff and i think we all need something outside of our profession whether our profession is rock climbing or something else i guess for a lot of people listening right now the thing outside of our profession is rock climbing but for you the thing outside of your profession is this artwork. And so for everybody who's listening, check out what she's done. It's on her Instagram. They're, they're really cool stuff. And Allison, thank you so much for joining the struggle for opening up. I really appreciate it. I'm very psyched to see how your career develops and evolves in the coming days, months, years. Good luck with everything. And, and let's chat again soon. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. And that wraps up our chat with the fantastic and layered Allison Vest. What a treat that was. What did you all think of our conversation? Let us know. 
You can find us on Instagram, at AllisonVest, at RyanDevlinOutside, and at The Struggle Climbing Show. Now in a second, I'm gonna hit you with my takeaways and hook y'all up with some swag, but first, let's support the brands that are supporting The Struggle. I love these guys. Big shout out to Petzl for being the official gear sponsor of The Struggle. If y'all are looking to boost confidence and comfort in your harness game, they've got an option specifically designed for your climbing style. Find them at your local gear shop or pop on over to Petzl.com to access the inaccessible. And if you want to level up your training and performance, and I know you do, check out Fizzy Vantage, y'all. Get yourself some PowerPlex vegan protein to recover after a workout and build muscle as you sleep. Then get on out there and crush your proj. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off at fizzyvantage.com. And I'm really proud to say that the struggle's carbon neutral thanks to a partnership with the Honold Foundation, whose mission is to promote solar energy for a more equitable world. Swing on over to honoldfoundation.org, y'all, to see the projects that they're supporting. Nobody is doing solar impact like them. It is so cool and so inspiring. Just so many takeaways here, y'all. First, uh, it's just incredibly refreshing and inspiring for a guest to be as real and as accessible as Allison was here today. You know, oftentimes people in the public eye will build kind of a, a sort of armor around them, you know? I, I've just seen this time and again in sports and in TV, but, you know, Allison just invited us in, and that was very cool and really insightful. My big takeaways here were on boulder tactics, especially focusing on proper rest, as well as practicing top outs to get the head game right before going for the send. That is something that I rarely do. And I'm gonna start focusing less on the ground up, just go for the send attempts and on dialing in those sections, especially any sketchy top out. I also loved her beta on finger training, especially as it pertained to understanding our weaknesses and building a program around that. And with perhaps the strongest fingers in the game, you know that is important perspective to have. Well, that clips the anchors on this episode. I'm just so grateful that you're here. The climbing community is just the best. You know, this show is a real labor of love and it's also just a real labor. So if you have the means and, and if you're getting value from this content, it would be super cool to have you aboard as a patron. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to pro clinics with former guests and super cool swag. Look, I'm sure you subscribe to a lot of things already, but maybe just think of this as a way to buy me some caffeine so that I can stay up late here in the utility slash podcast closet and get the next episode out. So if you can, swing on by patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check it all out. Thank you. I love you. And you know, another little favor that's free, by the way, would be to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a huge help. If you do that, I'll send you a sticker. You can slap it on your stick clip, your Nalgene, your van, or your forehead so that everyone knows that you love the struggle and the struggle loves you. I'm your host, Ryan Devlin, and this show was produced by myself and Mary Mathis, and The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. All right, let's climb hard and do good things in the world.